first scoreboard, the old firm through the decades. This is Super Scoreboard, the old firm through the decades. I'm Hugh Evans. The decade we have arrived at, the 1990s. A decade of torture for Celtic, but with one redeeming feature. The capture of the league title in 1998, which prevented Rangers from winning 10 in a row. Simon Donnelly was part of that Celtic success. He's with me now, and so is Mark Hately. Signed for Rangers by Graham Souness, but part of the Walter Smith era, which won Rangers nine in a row in a decade they dominated. Graham Souness, there's a name. How did you get on with him? Very well, very well. Um, I think always had great respect, and I think Graham great respect for me from being a young boy playing against him when I was at Coventry when he was at Liverpool. Probably my first memory of Graham was coming together was a... Um, 17, 18 year old at Anfield missed a penalty that day as well Bruce Godblow, world class save that's all I'm going to say <laughs> um, but the first, my first introduction with Graeme Souness Graeme Souness uh, was six studs right down my shin and literally 15 minutes after that I got him a little bit higher and I think the respect grew from there really um, big handshake after the game wish me all the best and uh, that, was, that's, that was my first introduction to Graeme but obviously in touch with him when he was at Sampdoria in, in Italy um, you know did uh, family lunches um, every now and then with Liam Brady and Trevor Francis um, and really did uh, uh, you know keep in touch so to say we still keep in touch So when an England international who has been a teenage sensation and has gone to Italy and has performed very well in Serie A is suddenly presented with the notion of uh, would you like to come to Scotland? What was your initial reaction? Um, it was a it was a it was a thought because my my children were at that age now they're at an international school in Monaco uh, of needing to to get back. Um, we I was on back end of a big long injury. Um, third year end of my third year at Monaco. We won the league in the first year, cup finals and all that sort of stuff. And then I picked up a an injury against Galatasaray, believe it or not, in the, in the September after the Euros in Germany in '88. Uh-huh. Um, double dislocation kept me out for two two years. But on the back of that, uh, Wenger literally he, he came to me and offered me a brand new five year contract straight after operation number one. I was needing four operations to get through to get me back playing. Um, so it was a it was a real tough decision for me. Um, you know, not playing. Uh, I think. I think Simon will back me up on this. When you're not playing and you you, you feel down, you do you do have different sorts of thoughts about family and where you want to play your football and all that sort of stuff. Where you yeah. want to be happy. So literally, I spoke to 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 Wenger uh, about uh, about the situation. Um, he he was he was convinced I was going to be back back stronger and mentally stronger as well after what I've been through. Um, and he said he just left it completely up to me. So, you know, I, I, I literally bumped into Graham. Um, in the, he was staying at the Hotel de Paris um, wow. for the 1990 World Cup in Italy and he was just travelling backwards and forwards watching games. Literally bumped into him and this was the third time he, he tried to get me. And he just said, I know you're injured and all that sort of stuff and I know I've been keeping tabs, you, you're... You sort of back on back on track. Um, do you fancy coming to play for us? Just like that, just as it was a throwaway comment. So I said, "Are you serious?" 
He said, yeah, absolutely. Um, he was there with the Ian Skelly. Yeah. Um, so there was a couple of drinks to be had. Um, and literally, I went away, thought about it, talked to the family, then talked to Wenger, and he just said, listen, you can do whatever your, your choice is, it will be the right choice. Uh, and if you if you go, it's, it will be with our blessing. Um and I'm sure we'll, we'll 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 meet up again somewhere down the line. And I just went to him, okay, Graham, and it took him completely by surprise. Um, so I left a three-year contract in 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 sunny Monaco to come back and play in Glasgow. And here I am still now. What a difference! <laughs> well, Simon Mark mentioned the occasional lunch with Liam Brady. Uh, Liam Brady, of course, features in your Celtic decade, uh, a time when Celtic had. Liam Brady, Lou McCary, Tommy Barnes, Joe Vengloss, John Barnes on a part-time basis or an interim basis, Kenny Dalgleish, Vim Janssen. How many managers could you handle in a decade? Yeah, I didn't, uh, unfortunately didn't play under Kenny, who's my hero, but Liam Brady, as Mark mentions, uh, is the guy who signed me. So my kind of ears pricked up when he was mentioning that. Uh, back in 1992, it was Liam that signed me after a short spell on trial uh, went to a, a tournament in Geneva with Celtic and funnily enough didn't think I did particularly well in the, the tournament but the week before we'd been playing up at Helenville against ironically my old team the team I came from Queen's Park and I managed to score a hat-trick and I think there was members of staff at that game after first team uh, training and obviously Benny Rooney and Bobby Lennox who were, went on to be my coaches were there uh, and luckily enough I did enough I think before that tournament uh, to get signed when I came back from, from Liam Mark walked into a dominant Rangers team you yeah. walked into chaos at Celtic Park yeah uh, Celtic found themselves I think when I arrived languishing obviously behind Rangers but more than that I think the season I broke in the following year it took me about a year and a half to end of the first team I think we were sitting Third, fourth, mm-hmm. fifth in the table, which is unheard of, you know, for Celtic or Rangers. So the, the the club was struggling, and I look back and think, well, maybe you know that was one of the reasons or circumstances that I got more opportunity. You know, if a, a Celtic team are flying high at the, the, the top of the league, you maybe don't get your chance. Uh, and hopefully, you know, when I went in there, I, I showed I could take my chance. The following season, when we went to Hamden, I didn't do particularly well again. You know, I had injuries. Uh, I'd came in kind of on the crest of a wave at the end of that 93 season so I think scored 5 in 10 games actually thought to myself kidding myself on this is easy this is what it's going to be like always but of course defenders get to know you you're no longer the, the kind of new kid on the block and I really struggled the season we were at Hamden I think I went through the season without a goal I think Peter Grant Likes to boast that he's, it was the only season that he beat a striker <laughs> to goal scoring and he only got one. So uh, that was a, a, a really poor season. But then on the back of that, Tommy Burns arrived at the club uh, and really transformed my game. You know, took me from, as we spoke about earlier on, not necessarily regarding myself as an out and out striker, which I'd kind of always thought, yeah, that's, that's my job. He took me into the more kind of deeper role on the right hand side of midfield. And I just seen the game differently, you know, and I think he's seen something in me that I maybe wasn't that physical presence to lead the line, but going back into that midfield stroke attacking role, I would get more of the ball and go in and build and it kind of brought my brought my game on tenfold. 
when you walk in, Mark, to uh, a dominant Rangers side and the club's biggest rivals are really struggling on and off the park, mm-hmm. did you think, this is easy? Uh, no. Because um, I'd been on the back of an injury. So that I was, it was all to prove not only to, to my colleagues and uh, fans, and but more so to myself. Um, I think that was that was the big challenge that I, I walked into. Challenging myself is is always the biggest the biggest challenge anybody can can face. I think um, once I think once you're through that, I think everything else everybody else will then accept who you are because that's the player that you want to be. You want to be that player again, or or better than that original version before an injury. So I knew that when I I came through there that, that more more than anything, um, you know my 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 record as a as a player was was pretty decent when I got there, and I and I to, in my own head knew I could be be back to where I wanted to be, if not better, playing for England and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I knew it would take me a number of games. I I you looked at looked at the season and I thought. It will probably take me 12, 15 games to get back up to speed where you're not having to think everything comes natural. You're taking up positions. You're not looking at that player and thinking, all right, I need to move now. It all becomes the natural way of life. Um, it was uh, uh, a lot longer than that. It took me to well over Christmas. Um, in in my case, um, well over Christmas, it was the worst, um, worst season for goals. I think I scored 19 goals that season. But uh, uh, Alistair uh, was knocking the ball in the back of the net, left, right, and centre when we got paired up. Um, so that that took the pressure off me a lot. But it was a, a lot of hard work. I had to put. Uh, I arrived I arrived at the club at twelve stone three from European football, and I went to thirteen stone ten to survive <laughs> uh, the the rigors and the you know the. The yeah. physicality of a Scottish football league, I knew that straight away, um, and that was that was literally my best playing weight. That's my still literally. I'm I'm round about that weight right now, but it was all you know. More of it was celebrating going out and hitting the gym and putting up more, on more muscle weight. But soon as I hit that, um, I felt a lot more comfortable to be able to get hold of the ball and know if I could I could I could take a an impact Hitley racing away for Rangers great chance for Hitley goes round the goalkeeper and scores Hitley has scored for Rangers in a breakaway running all of 30 yards beating the goalkeeper and slipping it into the net on the subject of physicality do you remember your first game against Celtic no not really no it's it's I mean I'm not a great watcher of past uh, football and I don't think in my time, you know, you walk into a supporters club and there'll be clips on and all that sort of stuff, and it brings back a memory. But I'm not one that sits down, ever sat down and watch watch the game. Um, it's it's um, the, the 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 homegrown boy said to me, "You won't remember your first two anyway." Yeah, so <laughs> make sure the winners, and we'll keep telling you we won it, and we'll keep going forward. Uh, and it was it was it's it's it's, it's as as said. Um, I think don't don't the same for you, Simon. But the game is was so fast, oh. um, completely different to a Milan derby, let's say. You know, uh, more tactical and all that. It, it was just sleeves up. I know it's changed nowadays, but it was roll <coughs> your sleeves up and first ball that bounces in the middle of the pot. Nobody gets hold of it. They just help it on. Get the back four turn around, running towards their own goal. And that's that's how the game was played. You knew you was going to get four or five chances. Um, I, I remember yeah, one of your yeah. your first 
old firm games yeah. because I'd signed for Celtic and I was fortunate enough to get tickets for the for the jungle. It was the seats yeah. in the jungle at that time, yeah. uh, just before we moved to Hamden. And I think you scored before I actually put my backside on the seat. <laughs> scored really early in the was game. That, I think Rangers won 4-2 that yeah, day. 57 seconds, 3-0 <coughs> after about 18 yeah, minutes or yeah. something crazy. I was literally was, in yeah. the ground. I had friends over and we were just sitting down yeah, and you yeah, scored. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the famous day when, because of the turmoil that Celtic were in, I remember being there covering the game mm-hmm. for Radio Clyde and a Celtic supporter tied his scarf into the form of a noose and he dangled it in front of the director's box. That was the kind of thing that was going on, Simon, because the club had fallen into financial disrepair, eventually leading to the arrival of Fergus McCann. Yeah, it was... It was. I mean, I was just a kid making my way in the game, really. Uh, now looking back at it, it's incredible that Celtic were, what Celtic were going through as a club at the time. Until Fergus came in, obviously redevelops, you know, the... Celtic part to what we know it is nowadays, and we go to we go to Hamden for a season, which I said earlier was was terrible. Oh. I, th- I look back at one point. I don't know why I found myself looking back at it. A period, but it was like we were going draw, lost, draw. The, the, the form was terrible. You um, beat Rangers three 0 there, but Rangers had already won yeah, the league by that, that was at time. The end of the season, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think that was maybe. I think we we beat Rangers two 0 at Ibrox McStay. And Collins possibly Can't remember uh, But that was my first Kind of taste Of A win against Rangers uh, That game Albeit they had won the league uh, I think Rudy Vata Scored that day as well uh-huh. Holborn But yeah Out with that That season was A total wipeout. Uh, Fergus McCann Transformed Celtic mm-hmm. He will be forever In the history For having done so Graham soon has left And then came Walter Smith mm-hmm. Who Wins Rangers nine in a row. Mm-hmm. Did you know anything of Walter before you got here? Um, before I got to the club, no, not not at all. Um, but I'm, you look at Graham and you think, well, Graham's not daft. He knows the game and he knows intelligent people. Um, so Walter, it must be an intelligent guy. Um, Walter did a lot of the training, um, mo- Monday to Thursday always with the boys um, and you could see straight away when 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 Graham left actually Dave, David Murray actually collared a couple of the experienced boys and and he just said who do you who 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 do you think what 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 do we need here I said and we all said straight away he's already amongst us uh-huh. says that man there said he knows exactly he knows us all inside out he knows how we like to play he knows a player and 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 the rest is history, as they say. But he's before arriving at the club, nothing uh, about him. But you, you're you're well aware of it, Walter straight away. Walter Walter is probably one of the smartest managers I've ever worked under. You know, he, he gives you responsibilities. Uh, that's a smart thing. So once you've got a lot of responsibilities, then it's down to you. Well, I mean, it's not his fault; it's your fault. <laughs> as Fergus McCann will forever be in the Celtic history. Walter will forever be in Rangers yes. folklore. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, probably the, the greatest period of Rangers history. Um, and it's a long history. Um, you know, and, and, and rightly so. Um, what, he, what he did and what he brought to the club, um, I must say, under, under uh, a good chairman. Um, without a good chairman, I just said about the fact that 
a man comes in with a lot of money at Celtic um, and then all of a sudden you've got a, a guy that understands the football who's the manager right and then all of a sudden you start getting better players in and that's 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 basically how it is but one without the other doesn't work so you have to have a, a good a good board good chairman with oh. money and a good manager and Johnson tries to put it back down to Hatley Hatley cuts inside tries a shot and goal oh and he scored a brilliant goal by Hatley superb left footed drive from the edge of the box right beyond corner into the back of the net 14 minutes gone Rangers are two up Hatley second what qualities does a person have to possess in order to manage Paul Gascoigne Loudrop Mark Hatley well I'm going to say good respect I think the quality is respect I think that is because I'm not going to say you're going to have to play at that level because Wenger didn't play at that level and he his team was full of French internationals. I mean, he was he was 34 years old when I played for him, you know, but he was still in command of of everybody, you know. Glenn Hoddles, myself, Jean-Philippe Roux, uh Patrick Major, all these uh, all these top French French players. Now, Graham was the other side of it where when he came in, he he played at the very top level. Um and where Walter took it on to, uh, he took it back to the the Wenger level, I think. And I think, I don't know, no disrespect to Walter, but he he didn't play at that level of 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 Graham. Yeah. So I would say more on that intellectual level of Wenger, uh, understanding the players and and very tactically aware. Um, and you know, that's how you deal with people. You you need to get in the minds of individuals. Certain people need certain things. Um, others you can just let them ride it they'll ride it out themselves um, they don't need to kick up the backside some need the arm as, as Simon will tell you um, but Walter was was very very smart in that in, in, but not only in that but tactically as a, as a, as a footballing man um, working with a, with a chairman that you know was very positive and, and very direct in, in where he wanted the club to be um, everything was you know it was a great balance of, of international players, a good intellectual manager and a chairman that would, would, was driving in the right direction. Meanwhile, you're at the revolving door mm. at Celtic Park, but then the manager came in, Tommy Burns, who almost stopped Rangers in their tracks. He was very close one season. Uh, Tommy was an amazing man. Yeah. Uh, no mm. one felt Celtic like Tommy. Um, how close did he come that season, Simon? Uh, as close as he possibly can without winning it, to be honest. I think Mark says there, but it's important to have the right guy in charge, you know, when somebody like Fergus McCann comes to the club and all of a sudden we can go and dip into the transfer market and bring in the quality that, that Tommy brought in. Uh, I think just towards the end of that Hamden season, Pierre arrived at the club and I remember I was out injured at the time and I think he scored in his debut versus Hearts. Fantastic goal uh, at the Celtic end of Hamden. And that was the first addition to our squad. We had good players, of course. We did, you know, I'd come through with John Collins, Paul McStays, different class, these guys. Uh, but we needed more, probably at the attacking end of the pitch. Uh, Pierre was the start of that. Then obviously followed by the likes of Andy Tom, George Cadet, the Canyo, these guys were different level, top top players, you know. And and Mark will tell you, you're in a squad there, particularly a team who we were coming up short time and time again against Rangers. 
suddenly these guys added to your squad lift everything they lift training they lift your confidence they lift you as a player and you actually start getting into those games thinking do you know what we can actually go and do a bit of damage here uh, and that proved to be the case you know that season for me out with the obvious season in the 90s of winning the league 95, 96 I think it was where we went one game uh, we went the whole season only losing one game was some of the best football I've been involved in in, right. in my whole career you know you were getting into games thinking we're going to win 3 or 4 nil here before a ball's kicked just the confidence throughout the, the team but unfortunately for us that season I think we had 11-12 draws and again mm. The Rangers team were still doing what they were doing on the other side of the city. So we, we, we just missed out. Tommy always said, Andy Gorham. He always he blamed Andy Gorham. And rightly so, because at that time, Simon, Gorham was incredible. Listen, we were getting into, we were getting into the old firm games and there was a pattern throughout most of them. We'd start well. We'd feel as if we get a foothold in the game. We'd create chances. The likes of Gorham would, would, would save them. And then Loudrop would break away and score, or Gascoigne would break mm. away and score, or Coyste would pop up with something. And see, the more and more times that happens to you, you do feel as if they've got an Indian sign over you. It's, mm. it, it's similar to, I think, the last two or three seasons when Rangers have been trying to get back. Celtic have got a kind of hold over Rangers at the moment. We experienced that in the 90s up until a point. And it was really difficult because the psychological side of it, you'd think half an hour into the game, we're doing well here, mm. we've got a chance, we need a goal, bang, we're 1-0 down. And it happened time and time again. We key, key players as well there, you were Simon saying, key players that could change change a game. Just like Three that. or four players yeah. that could just go, yep. and it's changed. Yep. Yeah, And all that hard work and good work that you've just put in, Aye. completely out the window. But the, can I just say as well, when see when you bring in that different level of player in, and your confidence, the whole confidence grows within the squad. But yeah. what it does do, it brings every, all the other players up a level. Definitely. And see all the young lads that are in around the first team, Definitely. it brings them up to that level, a, a very, very high level, very, very quickly, yeah. because they're playing with good players. Oh, and yeah. that's that's how it works. Brian yeah. Loudrup was a sophisticated Danish gentleman. Mm. Gaza, Koiste, <laughs> and the goalie were basically mad. Yeah, I think it t- takes a bit of madness, I think... Uh, where, where do you draw the line between madness and greatness? Uh, yeah. That's that's what you say, isn't it? You, you, it's a fine line. It's a it's a balance. But I think everybody kept everybody in order, though. I think uh, the manager, uh, you know, had total faith in 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 the group um, that we could keep each other under control, and we did do. We had more punch ups than Wait. you could ever imagine. Yeah, trying to keep people straight. <laughs> um, but you know, it's that is. Where That's did, man where management. Did, where did these punch ups occur? Oh, the dressing room, training grounds, tunnels, all of it. I mean, it's it's that's how it was. You know, we were we were a, we were a tough bunch. You know, you, you throw John Brown into that. You got Goffey. That all all were desperate to 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 win games. They didn't care how they won it. They just wanted to win games. And that that went you know right through the team. You got an Ian Ferguson in there that would kick his granny, um, and probably did on some occasions. <laughs> um, but it's 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 it, it was what it was. It was it was it was it was a, a group of guys. I'm going to say 16 guys through that nine years. I know other guys came in and went and all that sort of stuff. But a nucleus of 16 guys that lived and dreamt, played football, uh, partied hard. It must be said. Um, 
and enjoyed everything that went with you know being a successful football club legend has it that Gaza nipped into the Celtic boardroom had a swift yeah. one and then went out and played the old firm game I think you'll find that's true yes <laughs> with his boots on <laughs> as he does so when you're witnessing this take place are you thinking okay that's fine it'll be settled now yeah, I mean, Paul lived with me for two weeks in when I was through in Helensborough, and this is Walter's. This was Walter's idea. Um, thanks, Walter, for that one. Um, <laughs> family, my family were away on holiday, and it was pre-season, so safest place for him to come and stay would be in Helensborough because Walter just lived along the road. So, yeah, Walter's thinking is if there's any trouble, I can be there in jig time, sort of stuff. Um, and I, can I just say, Hugh, so I mean, it was the hardest two weeks of my <laughs> life. I, I mean, I had four children under the age of uh, eight and and I'd rather look after the four four kids than, than Paul for another two weeks. It was absolutely it was mayhem, especially pre-season. You know, you go and all I did was run my socks off, come home, sleep, get up, do that for the whole of pre-season. And Paul never slept. I mean, he was great lad. <laughs> and good fun when he's when he's not sleeping and it's the middle of the night yes what's he getting up to oh good knows I was I was deep in sleep but uh, uh, you know you could hear the, the rattling around and you know that's that's Paul's always been like that you know he he, he's, he was not a sleeper he's you know the nerve, the nervous energy that that uh, that that was within him. You know, I mean, some of the stories. You know, Alistair will tell you some of the stories. Appearing in his kitchen at three o'clock in the morning, rooting through the fridge because he'd got no food in his fridge and and all that sort of stuff. That was just that was just the norm. To uh, uh, I was going to say a crazy bunch of guys, but no, uh, yeah, it was a good mixture, a good balance. You know, the highs and lows. We had good, obviously. All good, good footballers, but we had a captain as well. Don't forget yeah. Richard Goff, who would only have to say one word, and everybody would have he would have everybody's attention as well as a manager. The nineties, of course, brought Henrik Larsson to Celtic. Mm. But before we get to Henrik, what was it like to play against Paul Gascoigne? Because he was a heck of a player for all of the mm. idiosyncrasies off the park. He was a heck of a player, Sam. He was a tremendous player, world class player. I remember watching him in the, the 1990 World Cup and then following his career into Italy uh, before he came to Rangers. As I say, for me, it's the best Rangers team of all time that we were up against, and that's the biggest compliment I can pay those guys. I thought it was full of top, top players. Uh, I remember taking his forearm and my, my windpipe at Hamden mm. one day. Uh, and then within a couple of minutes, you know, chatting away with you, like, you know, that was just him. Uh, but a fabulous, fabulous football player, and to have him and the likes of Loudrup in the team, it was really difficult for us. And that's where, when we started getting that different type of quality coming in, you know, it did, as Mark says, it, it lifts everybody, it brings your development on, and it raises your confidence to a, a level where you think, you know, we can compete with Rangers. Uh, but a, a difficult period for us and it did make it sweeter you know after all the probably for the older guys I mean I, I broke in maybe made my debut in 93 uh, but there was guys like your McStays and that going back it experienced all that we managed to get the, the Scottish Cup in 95 and I think between that and 89 six years without mm. a trophy it's 
It's amazing to you know consider. So when, uh, when this guy walks in with dreadlocks and an Alice band, yeah. and then immediately gives the ball to Chick Charlie, who scores the winning goal for him at Easter Road, how do you feel there? Well, he bl- he blames Darren Jackson for coming <laughs> short and showing for it, and you know, wasn't, wasn't Henrik's pass? He says, but again, I knew from a, from my younger days. I remember Henrik at the '94 World Cup. I think Sweden got to the third or fourth playoff. I think he scored. The dreadlocks sticks in your mind. So I knew of him. Uh, before he arrived uh, Vim obviously knew a lot more of him From his time at Feyenoord And for me looking back at it I think it was a, a case of Maybe he'd fell out of love with football at Feyenoord he was the, I think he was getting played out of position And he had a guy who knew him inside out Knew where he could play him Knew the platform of Celtic And that just elevated Henrik to another strategy It's a different footballing environment as well yeah. I mean the mentality of coming to to Glasgow first and foremost you know it's, it, it it does change the way you look at the game of football I think I think for him though I think when I look back mm. at now I think the marriage of, of him and Celtic mm. was perfect because mm. as I say whatever had happened at Feyenoord he wasn't enjoying his football mm. and he came to Celtic where Vim knew if I get him playing the way I know he can play yeah. the, the fans here will love him yeah, and that's it's, what happened yeah, it's, and it's, it's all about the family as well. When you come to Glasgow, you know, and people, a lot of people that have come, been and gone, have always loved being in, yeah. playing in, in, in Glasgow, family-wise, football-wise, and all that sort of stuff. So all that makes you then on the pitch a better player, yeah. right? Because you know your family's happy, they're being well looked after, everybody's taking them into open arms and, and, and what have you. So that's a big, big, it's a big plus factor for a Footballer, would you think that his a, family are, are happy? Would yeah. you think it was a different social environment then to what it would be now for a foreign player or an English player coming here? Oh, without a shadow of doubt, I think yeah. the, the whole you know social aspect of being a footballer right now is is, I mean, it's totally different. Totally different. Yeah. You um, the way we the way we lived our lives then, and the way you, you you're under the scrutiny of the social media and phones and cameras and and I think and, and honestly, you probably back me up. You you guys were before us with the with the kind of the team that went out together. Yeah. You know, went together. But we, whenever we had any of the the foreign guys coming into the club, it would be, the first thing would be a Christmas night out or a night out and mm. get them into the squad, integrated to the squad. And it did. It brought a bond. It, mm. it meant when you were going out on a Saturday, you were you were given that wee bit more for the guy because you'd been out with him during the week and you'd shared stories. You'd had a couple of beers, and it definitely goes a long way. That it's it's different now because the, the game's moved on by the, the science side of it. But yeah. the camaraderie back then was really strong. I'm trying to imagine a night out with Paulo De Canio. To be honest, <laughs> Paulo actually, Paulo was an exception. He wouldn't come out a lot. He, he didn't socialise with the group. A great deal You know if it was An official like a Christmas night He would But you had the, the season we won the league You know you had that Group of guys That were out On a Tuesday night Because we'd have a Wednesday off And then you'd be out On a Saturday Hopefully after picking Three points up And that was just The way of it Was he, was he the, the same man On the pitch As off the pitch Paolo 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 was Aye Crazy <laughs> yeah. He was probably The closest To Gaza Yeah off the bit, yeah. he was. He was always up to something. Yeah. Uh, easy, easy, self, to pl- easy, easy to play with. For me, he was probably the most difficult out of the four. Because Paul Gascoigne was impossible to play with. Aye. It's a yeah. real difficult. In what way? Because you, you never knew know what he was doing, and Paolo would be the same. Yeah. You know, everything was. That's a good point. Yeah, everything was off the cuff. 
Paul didn't know what he was doing. Paolo probably didn't know what he was doing. It all happened on a on a on a uh, on a second of, of of one player leaning half an inch the wrong way. Every the whole the whole picture of the game would yeah. change. So for a striker, you know, when you're trying to make that run off 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 a tell off a player, and I knew you, Brian Laudrup. Was was it was an easy tell for me. That, that's why you get on the end of a lot of. But with 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 Paul and I would say, yeah, Paolo, no, it would fi- be, it'd be really 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 difficult. That's why I just asked that because question. He was, he was the same. Maybe he, sort couldn't, of, yeah. he couldn't. He couldn't knock like Gaza. He would turn three guys inside out and yeah. put it in the net. You'd you'd still be shown for that pass that never came. Fergus McCann used to tell me about his recurring nightmare. Paolo <laughs> scores against Hearts at Celtic Park. Mm-hmm. And before the game can restart, he's gone into the back of the net, retrieved the ball, and then got sent off before the game restarted. What does that remind me of? It? I can't, what was that again? It, you know, between the goal uh-huh. and the centre circle, he got involved <laughs> with someone. And yeah, so it's pretty much like. Yeah, and, and Fergus couldn't understand why his valuable asset was behaving in this way. But as you said earlier, Mark. Yeah. Genius is next door to madness it sometimes. Is. Oh, right on the low. It's right on it's, the edge. See, the other thing, maybe to compare the, the two, yeah. for me, whenever I've been asked through the years about the likes of a Paulo, Paulo for me, just you're talking about educating the youngsters mm-hmm. and the guys within the squad. Yeah. He was one of the hardest trainers mm-hmm. that I've ever worked mm-hmm. with. I don't know if Gaza yeah, yeah. was maybe Paul the same. See, when he was on yeah. the training pitch, he was an absolute yeah. animal. Yeah. Aye. He never stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something that I tried to take from, you know. My my time with Paulo, look at the way he goes about his business. Look at the way how he trained. He was a, a different. Yeah, they had, they had, they had, they had, um, it's always been my, my old man was obviously a footballer, and he just said, "You must train how you play. Yeah, you must train as hard as you play yeah. on a Saturday." And those those players, top players, always in my eyes and who I've trained with, have always played at that level. And some of the training sessions that we had um, during that period were ferocious. Yeah. Honestly, ferocious. I mean, people having to step in and stop the game, and and just and then going off to do something else because yeah. it was it was like we every training session was like a full on yeah. need to win. Super scoreboard. The old firm through the decades.